Hello and welcome to the Effect Podcast, episode 181, an offer you can't refuse. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And in a maybe slightly empty programme this It's not empty at all, it's packed (laughs) as hell. But I think we're getting bored with saying, in a packed programme today, because we say it every time. We are, we are, that's what I said. Uh, we have got new patrons to thank. We have got, oh, and a funny story to tell about being approached for advertising. I'm going to do that in the Patreon bit, but I just, for two or three episodes, I've been thinking I should tell this story. Because <laughs> okay. uh, our patrons have heard it, but not necessarily everybody else. I've kind of forgotten um, all about it, frankly, but yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, we've got... Uh, we've got a, not a world of gaming. We have a blooming multiverse of gaming. Of to talk about. Oh, multiverse. Nice, nice. <laughs> yes, see, yeah. I'm there. I'm ahead of you. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, and then I just want to have a bit of a chat. I've not got anything prepared because Toby's doing our homework this week. Uh, so I haven't done a formal sort of review, but I want to talk with you about Death in Space. Because I've played a couple of sessions of that now, and I have thoughts. Um, cool. Yeah, that uh, so we're talking good. about absolutely. And then, as I uh, foreshadowed, we have the second part of our friend, patron, and host of the RPG Logic podcast, Toby or Daniel, depending on how you know him or who you are. <laughs> um, uh, and that's his second part of Money in the Third Horizon. Indeed. And that's that's excellent little bit. I had a sneaky preview of what he's going to say. And that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, let's, let's um, crack straight on then, because we do have a packed programme. New patrons, and um, I fear I'm going to muck up the pronunciation for both of these, but welcome to our little crew, Christopher Anderson and Mathieu Gras, or Grass. Welcome, welcome, guys. Great to have you on board. Thank you very much for your support. And yeah, cool. Get onto the Discord if you're not there already. Yes, yeah, get onto the Discord uh, if you're not there already. But thank you for our support. Um, this kind of ties in with the little story I want to tell. You know, One of the reasons why we are so appreciative of what our patrons do is they pay for all our costs and more and more podcasts, you know, carry advertising now or, or sponsorship. We may touch on this again with Death on Space. Um, and uh, <laughs> and I don't want to do that, but I do want to tell the story of uh, we were approached <laughs> for a kind of advertising sponsorship deal from a major <laughs> organisation. Now, Dave... Uh, you probably know the answer, but I just want to see, uh, given that it's about six weeks since this actually happened, can you remember who that corporation was? Um, only by what you've put in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't one I'd particularly heard of, actually. Um, but go on, you, you tell the story. It's your story. Well, it, it, makes, it makes me wonder who they think our target market is. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and... Uh, and the attitude of said target market to, um, shall we say, personal presentation, because we were approached <laughs> by the company Manscaping that provides um, a variety of products for the um, for the shaving of your testicles, for the most part. I mean, 
I mean, I'm sure they're all about gentlemanly good looks. I'm sure there's moisturiser for your face as well. But believe me, there is moisturiser for your balls. Um, so I hadn't, I hadn't looked that. I mean, I didn't look that far into it. I just assumed it was a male grooming brand rather than a male gonad grooming brand. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think it sells itself as male grooming, but uh, I think it's kind of. Um, is that, is that, is that the is thing it, that you immediately clicked on when you saw it? Oh, something to shave my nuts with. Excellent. Oh, manscaping. <laughs> Excellent. So I thought, you know, um, well, I, I'm intrigued about where they came across us, whether they came across <laughs> the us in they our think streams, we are. <laughs> in our podcast. But I, but I did reply, have you seen me and Dave? <laughs> I know, I saw that. Because um, I am not, not at all convinced that we are... Um, we are great, manscaping great material. ambassadors for uh, for male grooming products. Um, yeah. So I don't know uh, if you are our listeners and you want to know. I mean, I'm sure if we did this deal with them, they'd probably send us some free products. Um, so <laughs> we could try those. We could try live, we- maybe on on, the, on our YouTube channel. <laughs> and if you, our listeners, really might, want we, to see that, we might need a content I'll... warning for that, though, like a quite a big one. I think we would. I yeah. think we would. Um, yeah. Or maybe we move over to OnlyFans. I have no idea. Do you want to um, see Dave and Matt shave their nuts? Hmm. So really, I took a principled sure stand against accepting advertising for that one. Yeah, it, it did make me think, though, um, about you know uh, being in a position where we might have been very very grateful for that support from manscaping and luckily mm. i can um i can turn it away because of the support of you our lovely patrons who are also our listeners yes indeed i guess maybe i ought to say for those of us listening to this unedited version of this banter um you know if you feel it should be a gold level privilege to watch us shave our balls with manscaping <laughs> products then maybe maybe we can do a certain you know no, exclusive no, audio. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe we should have an editorial discussion about this offline before we <laughs> commit to anything, Matt. All right. Hang well, on. I just want to see whether the demand is there, Dave. <laughs> if well, <laughs> if you, if you want to do that, mate, that's that's fine. Can I ask <laughs> that you set up your own YouTube channel? You don't contaminate the Effect brand with pictures well, of I'd your. Oh, I'd be doing it on genitals. Patreon. It would be just for our gold level patrons, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, you're, you're going to get one like direct message that says, "I really like the idea" from somebody. I'm <laughs> sure, <laughs> but the rest is going to be, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, you know, I guess maybe they think uh, that the gaming community is mostly male, and maybe they think it needs um, it needs grooming, sprucing up but, um, <laughs> a bit. But no, no, I don't think I don't think we are going to be your maybe they channel were, to maybe they were after us for like a for a before and after. See what oh, David Matt like now. Maybe we missed out like. on a makeover. Maybe, maybe we've missed out the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, uh, I wonder what Jenny would think if uh, if you were so transformed. Uh, anyway, moving yeah. on. Shall we move on to the world of gaming? <laughs> Let's please. Um, and um, yeah, and maybe so, we follow that with uh, with a bit of a come down. Um, yeah, the, the first heard... thing. Yeah, go, go on. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, I just say the no, first you, thing. You first. The first thing we wanted to say is obviously just a little bit of recognition and a tribute to 
Um, Tove Gilbring, who very sadly died this week um, after a very long battle struggle with um, with cancer. Um, neither of us actually knew her uh, directly, but obviously by reputation and by her influence on the gaming community. And I think all we wanted to do was just pay our respects to to someone who's done an awful lot for the for the role play playing game genre, and send our best wishes and um, and, and kind regards to Anders and all her friends, in the hope that um, uh, that that you know that that time will quickly help them remember her with a smile rather than sadness. So um, yeah, I think that's all we wanted to say, really. All I wanted to say. Well, no, I I, I just remember um, I've never met. Tova, of course, we you know we have um, we we bat Western. Um, I've bought some PDF copies of uh, Phoenix, Phoenix, the um, mm, yeah the Swedish language magazine, which of which some things are translated into English. That's why I bought them. Yeah. Um, uh, on on drive through, but I do remember years ago first hearing Tova and Anders names mentioned in advertising on Ken and Robin talk about stuff, and. Um, and I remember them saying something like, um, uh, "Not actual brothers, but uh, but but brothers in their RPG interests or something." I thought, "But surely Tova is a girl's name," and um, and obviously it took Ken and Robin some time to find out that they weren't actually even both boys; that uh, <laughs> they were they were a married couple, and uh, Anders and Tova were a boy and a girl. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's sorry when any any of the uh, the sort of um, uh, the lighthouses of the gaming industry die, uh, and it's not unexpected for Anders. Uh, you know, we've known about it for some time. Doesn't make it um, any easier though. I think, but it doesn't make it any no. easier though, does it? No, no. It's always sad. So all the best to um, to Anders and all of Tova's friends and family. And yeah. Um. So, other things that have happened. Something that's happening today, I believe, is that people are getting copies of the Marvel Multiverse RPG playtest kit. Mm. Um, now, this is something that interests me almost not at all. <laughs> so, I'm not... I'm, 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 anything with Marvel on it, I've kind of got bored with, because they've just plowed too many Marvel movies into the into the into the yeah, into I'm the, loving into the, the Marvel sphere. movies. So just too much for me. And so I kind of went off them and haven't watched most of them. But um go on and tell us all about um Well I, I can't really tell you all about it because it doesn't interest me enough to actually have pre ordered a copy. Um I I'm rather hoping that some of these will turn up at the game shop and I can have a look at them there. But from what I've seen of screenshots of, I don't know, preview PDFs or something that some reviewers have got, um, it doesn't quite um, float my boat. It uh, looks yeah. to be quite mathematical. I, I mean, you do have this problem. If, if, you, if you're looking at a universe um, where some characters are Daredevil and some are Captain Marvel, how do you have a sort of... Um, stat scale that means that daredevil and captain marvel can actually be in the same scene together yeah and both both the players feel that they're they're contributing to the storyline i can't find um, it now but there was definitely a picture i saw on the discord which was showing a 
a stats table which was about 25 columns by 25 rows yes all full yeah, of numbers you'll find it in our um, uh, on our discord in our world of gaming section there and yeah i was, was looking there but i couldn't by, find it um, just now but... oh, there it is. <laughs> and coincidentally it actually features captain marvel so um uh, as an example of a polymath who's good at everything um and uh, and and these are the bonuses she gets and it's you know two-thirds of a page of a bonus table uh, apparently to um people like her so um yeah so yeah um, doesn't doesn't quite float my boat and also uh, we were discussing again on the discord uh, i loved golden heroes when we played golden heroes yeah, as me too. Um, young men boys whatever but at the same time i think playing golden heroes is made made me think about what a ridiculous concept it is to <laughs> put on a skin site to the with a logo on and go around punching villains um yeah yeah and there, there is it is a bit yeah so likewise i love playing golden heroes um back in the day i also really love playing villains and vigilantes which we played before golden heroes um mm-hmm. which is a bit more a bit more pulpy or a bit more action swashbuckle kind of focused i think whereas golden heroes had the great advantage of bringing in things like your own personal self-esteem and your 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 how the public thought about you yeah. and, you know, improving your public public opinion and all the rest of it which i loved i loved all of that kind of element which wasn't something that villains of vigilantes included um but you're right i think there is something faintly ridiculous about flying about in lots of red lycra um, which I think at the time it never really occurred to me was faintly ridiculous, but I, I think over the years we've probably become kind of slightly harder edged in our gaming tastes in that we, we tend, or certainly I do, but I think possibly this applies to you a bit as well, tend to go a bit more gritty with what we're looking at and a bit more kind of storytelling, yeah, whereas did... running, running around in, in big yellow suits is is much more in my in my mind pulpy kind of action adventure and less building kind of relatively intense stories about the characters yeah um i i, I th- as i say i think it was playing golden heroes that actually made that transition for me i enjoyed it well enough as i was doing it and i still enjoy reading uh, the adventures of people in skin tight like in comics and watching them i you know i'm i am thoroughly into moon knight at the now let's say what you tight. watch on youtube with people in skin tight lycra <laughs> is a matter for yourself pal okay <laughs> i don't yeah, think, I don't think most movies. of those sites are illegal but um you know just be careful <laughs> and funny enough, and I'm about to involve us in a terrible hate war now, I don't think generally the DC movies are as good because they are kind of grittier and darker and more realistic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't enjoy them as much as I enjoy the Marvel movies. So I still enjoy those stories, but I really don't have any need to act them out in role-playing. Mm. I think that's my thing. Yeah. Um no, that that's fair enough. So, what's the? Have we had any any reaction from from anybody? Did um did Ben give us any sense of what he thought about it already? Uh, I don't think Ben's had his copy yet. Um, right. The, the the as I say, the social reaction a little bit is it looks a bit old school. Right. I think it, uh, as far as I can work out from the mechanism, the mechanism feels a bit like um the 
uh, mechanism that Green Running produced for uh, Fantasy Age and um, Dragon Age. And, okay, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Expanse role-playing games. But, um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see, I think. Wait and see. Yeah, and he's definitely got that kind of pulpy, slightly cartoony um, comic-style artwork, at least on the page that we've seen put up on the yeah. Discord. Which again I is fine. Be... That's absolutely fine for yeah. for that kind of game. If you're doing it's... a superhero comic universe, I think you're allowed to have comic style artwork. I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, I wasn't. I wasn't. I think just for me again, liking a slightly grittier element. Um, you know, if I was going to play a role playing game about superheroes, I would be wanting to play something much more like Watchmen, and much mm. less like Thor or something. Hold that thought, Dave. We've got a surprise last minute interruption from friend of the show and patron Jonathan with some exciting news that I think will require a link in the show notes. Guys, since you're talking about superheroes, do you mind if I interject and let you and your listeners know about an upcoming Itch.io Game Jam? Like many of you, I've been seeing discussion about the recent playtest for Marvel Multiverse RPG, and it doesn't look good for a number of reasons. So I put together this game jam uh, to encourage us as RPG players, experienced and inexperienced creators, amateur and professional alike, to pitch what you think makes a good superhero RPG. The jam will be open for submissions from 15th of May through to the 15th of July, whether it's a hack or add-on to an existing superhero RPG or something new entirely, it's all welcome, and I know that many of you, like myself, will enjoy everything that's shared. Right, I'll let you carry on. I was about to say, you are such a Snyder stan. <laughs> I love that movie. That movie was such a good uh, uh, representation of the book, and the bits that they changed made the story better, not worse, yep. which was absolutely Actually, awesome. Actually, I entirely agree with you on uh, Watchmen. I think that's mm. one of my favourite movies. And... Um, Weirdly, another one which I really liked and kind of touches on what we're talking about is, did you ever see Unbreakable by um, oh M. Night Shyamalan starring Bruce no, Willis? No, I haven't seen that, no. Oh, that's a, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but um, it's a kind of superhero movie. But that's a recommendation, um, is it? Okay, cool. Yeah, and I don't know about, I wouldn't watch the sequels, but I, on its own, um, watch Unbreakable. Okay, That's cool. all I'm going to say. <laughs> if only um, right what's next well, well, on... well, well, I'm not that I'm going to say more than that I'm going to say I'm ruined I'm ruined ruins have fallen upon my head today <laughs> of both the lost realm and of Simba Room yes yeah indeed so I got two PDFs today and I, this actually um, does touch on Having said, uh, you know, we don't take sponsorship from uh, from manscaping and the like. We are getting free PDFs now from from uh, and sometimes physical books as well from from Free League. So that's cool. I I as, paid. Um, yeah, kind of. You know, as sort of review copies, aren't they? So um, yeah. So we are kind of doing exactly what we ought to be doing, um, having had that 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 bonus, as it were. Yeah. Um, so Ruins, Ruins of the Lost Realm is a supplement, the very first supplement for uh, the new edition of the One Ring. 
And that's the only one I've actually looked at because they both came just before we started recording. And it looks great. <laughs> I haven't had much time to look at it, but um, it, it focuses on area door. It's, uh, it's kind of a what is happening in the world. And for me, particularly, because what I've been playing has been the Shire Focus Adventures from the Starter Kit, it feels like a great follow-on from that. You know, you're coming out of the Shire, what is around the Shire, Eriador is around the Shire, and this is what you're learning, particularly if an innocent young hobbit mm-hmm. who knows nothing of the wider world. Um, so does it follow it does on at- pretty much from the scenarios in the... The starter set, then is that is that the intention yeah, behind it? I don't think it's a specific follow-on, right? Because of course, really, I think you're meant to. Having played the starter set, you you open the core book and you make your own characters, and you don't have yeah. to be hobbits from the Shire in that. No, um, of course. But it does feel kind of a conceptual follow-on, as in here's the Shire. It's all actually kind of soft and fluffy. And the greatest threats um, aren't, aren't terrible threats. And then suddenly, oh, actually, it's a bit shit in the in the rest of the world. A kind of post-apocalyptic from, from mm. as I'm reading it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, the nearest civilization, in air quotes, is not very civilized. Um, so uh, and that's yeah. far bad. And one of the interesting things I feel is really important to say is I am not a major... Um, middle earth that fan you know we've got patrons um you know not not just total spots but normal people too who <laughs> know the silmarillion better than i ever will which is to say they've read it and i never will um <laughs> uh, and you know and all the other stuff all the other um half written notes and thoughts of tolkien have been infiltrated into their brain they know the world a lot better than i do and this isn't written just for them. I feel this is written in a way that I can start knowing more about Middle Earth in a really approachable way without having read the Silmarillion. Mm. Now that's good, and I think you know the the game ought to be open to to anyone who who, who just has a fancy to stroll about in in Middle Earth, and that will encompass you know a lot of people who've never read the books but have seen the films, say, or even just seen some of the Hobbit or something. And they love the look and the feel of it. Um, you don't need... Yeah, it's good that you don't need to be a Silmarillion scholar to be able to get into the to the setting. Now, that's great. I haven't looked at it yet. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to open it up. But um, I am, at the moment, going through a, a bit of a learning curve because I'm uh, rapidly learning how to, to play and run the One Ring uh, as I'm going to be dem- demoing that for Free League at... UK Games Expo. Um, the other game I'm going to be demoing at UK Games Expo. Get the segue. Is um, Ruins of yeah, Simbaroon. Yeah, I like the segue. Ruins Ooh, of Sim- nice segue. So, so I've they've they've sent me the books for that. Um, so I've got them in hard copy. They are. I mean, it's the three book pack, all in a in a beautiful sort of cardboard case. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you know what you know what free league are like. A slipcase. They, 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 yeah, a, a, sli- a, a slipcase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they make things that are just beautiful to behold, and these books are beautiful to behold. They are lovely. Um, so I've got a bit of work to do to remind myself how to play 5e, <laughs> for starters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and obviously I've got all the books here to to go through. So actually, I mean, the, the the lucky thing is that there's so much stuff in these books that I won't need to worry about for the for the demos. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, uh, yeah, I'm uh, you know I I want to make sure I I give it a good you know a good representation of the game for those people at UK Games Expo who want to come along and play it. Um, are you going to run a pre-published scenario, or are you going to say convert one of the um, Lonesome Ogre stories into Five E? I'm tending to run um, the pre-published scenario. Mm. Um, there's a couple that come with it, uh, with the the Game Master's screen and everything. I haven't read them in detail yet. I was considering just. Um, converting the last scenario or not it might not be the last scenario that we ran but there's one where uh, is it uh, the one with the spider thingies yeah in the, in, yeah, yeah absolutely that's, a good, that, that's the one I was thinking of actually. yeah so that's the one that I'm feels thinking. kind of D&D-ish yes yeah and it, it's it's quite short and sharp and mm. um, those the Arax those creatures are just brilliant I remember when I was looking through the beastry for original Simba Room Mm-hmm. Um, looking for a, 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 an antagonist for the next scenario, and Arak being an A is the first in the book, and I didn't get <laughs> beyond that. I thought, Any okay, I'm, I'm putting those in; they're brilliant. So actually, I might do I might do that. Um, it depends mm-hmm. how much time I've got um, to, mm-hmm. to put it together. So we'll Between see. Between now and then, yeah, yeah. So and uh, um, and talking of time, you've got. Um, I under uh, some time ago you. You let slip to me a thing that you were, I think, under an NDA, not to mention. Not not properly let slipped, not like you, you didn't tell me everything about it, but I worked out that you were doing some sort of weird Romy cthulhu thing, or talking about it at least. And now I notice that your friends of mine, the chaps at Modifius, have announced Cohors Cthulhu. They have, yes. So, um, yeah, so I... <laughs> I came to this by a, by a quite circuitous route. I haven't done any paid work for it. I've done a bit of. I've done a little bit of. Uh, I read through some stuff, um, but yes, I was under an NDA. Um, not to not to divulge any of that. Um, not even to your podcasting partner. I wouldn't have told anybody. You know everything that goes on between <laughs> you and I is entirely secret. No, well, I mean, you know, I think I think all I all I hinted at was you that there was something that I was that was involving Rome. Um, yeah, and I, I, which, I think weird, weird Rome as opposed to proper Rome has yes, leaked out somehow. Yeah. It may only have been in your tone of voice that utter disappointment that it wasn't a proper Roman story. <laughs> well, oh, actually, I don't know. I'm, I'm not disappointed in that because it, it leaves me clear to do my proper Roman Rome Year yeah. Zero game, so which I want to do. Um, so I, so I, no, I was chatting to Chris Birch um, about James Bond actually, uh, and because they're just. Were announced the Spectre board game, so we were chatting about that, and he then asked me just to ping him like a little CV of what I'd done, and on there I'd put that I was putting together this Roman game, and he went, "Ah, Rome." So he came back to me, sent me the stuff. I I, I basically went through it as a, it's like a bit of a um a kind of a consultant, I guess, to mm-hmm. um well just to give my views on it in general, but also one of the things that I was well placed to do was give some advice around the the, the historical setting so there were a few things that <clears throat> i could correct for them and and get the right kind of um terminology and the right 
get some of the names right, that kind of thing, which is great. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm hoping uh, I've, I've given them some ideas for some scenarios, so I haven't heard back yet as to whether or not that'll translate into anything. But um, hopefully, with a bit of luck, I might get to to write a scenario or two for this game as well. But yeah, so it's set in um, the Roman Empire at the time of Marcus Aurelius, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, which is about mm. 160 common era. Um, right. So not so year zero then? It's not year zero. No, no. <laughs> and this is continuing the story, or actually it's a prequel really, to the story that they've been playing out through Acton Cthulhu. And there is yes. a there is a uh, a war between the gods going on, and you as the players become involved in that war, and you have a small part to play in sort of taking the fight to the to the evil old gods, um, and and yeah, fighting for for good against evil, pretty much. In the setting, it's set in uh, around a town called Lorium, which is on the border with um well it's in germany but it's on the it's on the border of the roman um province and they've there are obviously german tribes that are uh, are erstwhile enemies of the romans obviously but in the game the romans and the germans have forged a an alliance of kind of convenience i i, I guess to fight the evil that is growing in the forest and that is going to threaten civilization. So it's uh, it, it, it's got the whole historical side. It's got the whole Cthulhu side. It's bringing in this secret dark war that that the players will will participate in. And yeah, it, it looks really exciting. And it's not only going to be a, bo- a role playing game. They're also bringing out a um, a minis skirmish battle game to go with it as well mm. um, at the same time. And I think there's going to be a book that is going to come out as well. Um, so there's an awful, it's, it's, there's huge ambition uh, around this game for Modiphius. It's really exciting, and um, you know, even I'm able to kind of look past my "oh, I don't like weird Rome," because <laughs> I, you know, I think the ideas that I've I've pitched are are deeply, deeply set in the Roman historical setting, and mm. I think I'm hoping that. That is something that they are really keen to explore because they've set this particular game in Rome uh, or in the time of the Roman Empire. So I'm hoping that that kind of thing and my, you know, I've studied Roman history pretty much all my life um, in one way or another. Um, so I feel I'm, I'm quite well, you know, I'm competent at the history uh, around around the Roman Empire and the Roman Republic. And I think I could bring lots of lovely ideas. So fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Um, it may or may not pan out, but um, Cohort Cthulhu does look really exciting as a game. Cool, cool. And of course, um, you know, it's important to remember that Actum Cthulhu is effectively the genesis of Modiphius itself. So it's their, mm. um, it's yes. their baby. And absolutely, it started yeah. Out as um, I can't remember if it started out as both. Savage Worlds and Cthulhu, whether they had a Call of Cthulhu license, I think they did. Um, but it may have just been a Savage Worlds thing. Then they did a Fate version as well. And only recently had they moved it into the house 2D20. Into the 2D20, system. yeah. Yeah. And so this is going to be a 2D20 game. Yes. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to use the same mechanics as in Acton Cthulhu. Um, mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's the base 2D20 system. Yeah. But fewer Nazis. Fewer Nazis from the 1930s or 40s, yes, <laughs> obviously. But so, maybe yeah. the same many-angled beings that inhabit the Nazis in the 1940s are inhabiting... Um, well, of course, the Nazis quite like the whole Roman Empire thing themselves, didn't they? Come to think well, of it. it's, I was going to say, I mean, setting any game... We've had this historical context conversation before, but setting any game in a in a period of history where you know slavery was commonplace, you know ubiquitous, and mm-hmm. you know um, there was no such thing as human rights, and there were many, many, many daily tragedies, uh, personal tragedies happening all over the place. Uh, you know there are there are challenges in setting a game in that kind of in that kind of setting. And you know they are Malefics is definitely not hiding from that, um, and definitely trying to challenge the the whole slavery thing head on, which I think is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's you could argue that the Roman Empire itself was pretty. I mean, whether you'd call it Nazi or fascist is 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 a is a debatable point, but it was yeah. definitely um, ruthless and brutal and merciless in pursuit of its what it felt was its own interests mm. so uh, okay yeah. so maybe nazis then um moving on to i'm pretty sure a world with no nazis uh and that is the world of D. um so again just before not just before, the day before we came on air uh wizards of the coast announced the return of Spelljammer. Yes. Which is D&D in space. Yep. And of course, I, now that you I know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think neither of us do. So Spelljammer previously uh, was a thing that happened long after we'd left the realms of D&D. Yeah. And where we weren't even doing much gaming, so we didn't really know much about it. But um, I believe a Spelljammer is... Allows you to move in the ether between realities or some such, um, and yeah, they're kind of space adventures of D and D types, but great big flying ships. Uh, it's not D and D in the future. It's not um, like Starfinder or even Shadowrun. It's kind of um, this is this is contemporary with the rest of the D&D world. Mm. And uh, another much-loved setting, which is Dragonlance, um, created by, originally, um, the the guys behind uh, our Firefly role-playing game, the, the, the Serenity role-playing game, mm. Margaret Weiss and Tracy yes. Hickman. Um, um, again, that had a whole series of novels with it. It's much-loved. It's coming back. There's going to be a board game. There might be minis involved. Mm, um, okay. I I don't think either of us can talk much about this. I think I've just about run out of my entire knowledge. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was... Well, look, the only thing I was going to say about Spelljammer, which actually isn't about Spelljammer at all, uh, is just I remember back in the day, I can't remember which module it was, but there is a one of the Q modules, I think, or S modules, was mm. one where there was a like a giant spaceship or a giant kind of modern oh yeah uh, yeah modern I, I, complex that you then explored as your D characters which i never liked so did I, you not no i found it all a bit it jarred for me um mm. we've had this conversation but i you know 
we had a whole conversation on the Discord about I don't like wizards in space, and someone said, "What about Star Wars?" But, you know, and then we had, but I don't yeah, you like. You lost that conversation, Dave. You lost. Well, that I, conversation. I think I, I knew I'd, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd lost that conversation before it even started. <laughs> um, but I think my my point being that um, wizards casting fireballs and magic missiles with pointy hats and clerics and all of that in space. I've never liked or that kind of mishmash. I never liked Shadowrun because I could never quite get the orcs and dwarves and all of that in a cyberpunk setting. It just jarred for me. Um, I know a lot of people love it, but it just wasn't wasn't my wasn't my mm. wasn't my bag. No. No, and there's an interesting thing there. I think I remember playing that, and there's that moment where you realise, oh god, we're in a great big spaceship. Yeah. Um. And part of you kind of goes, cool, we're in a great big spaceship. My 1980s knowledge of uh, popular culture has made a great thing come together. But again, your character would never think we're in a great big spaceship. They'd go, what is this strange place? Yeah, exactly. They they hadn't invented science fiction by then. No, they they might be completely culturally thrown by it, you know. Your yeah, your kind of role playing reaction should be okay. What gods have created this monstrosity? Kind exactly, of thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what evil god? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, well, yeah. um, yeah. So there's more news. More news from the realms <sighs> of D and D. We're we're turning into a Wizards of the Coast podcast here. They should start <laughs> sending us free stuff. That's a hint. <laughs> um. <laughs> Not sure anybody from Wizards of the Coast listens regularly. But. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, yeah, Wizards of the Coast have bought D&D Beyond. Yes, they have. Um, D&D Beyond is the online resource for all the current books. So you kind of subscribe to it and um, you get access to all the books and you get you know character generating software that uses all the content from those books so you don't have to look things up i was I gonna mean, say in, does it include a vtt n- no is it not no okay it's just access to all the resources yeah yeah right you okay. can't buy pdfs of the current books for example you have you to do it only get a dnd beyond uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and i think there's a level of dnd beyond that is free which gives you access to all the core books i think so um you know if you can't afford to buy the core books then use D&D Beyond and you've got them all on there on the screen. And presumably um, that's a subscription model. Uh, yeah, and then if you want access to all the other books, I think that's either a subscription model plus, um, you know, paying out some fee for the other books or everything is included in the subscription. Yeah. I really ought to look it up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I <I'm- laughs> So I guess on the one hand, it's a good thing for somebody who is coming fresh to the game and wants to get access to everything but doesn't want to spend hundreds of pounds buying a lot of books. Mm. That's fine. The thing I don't like about it, as I don't like with all of the sort of the musical subscriptions and you know the, the same with you know Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of that, is that if you stop paying your subscription, you lose access to all that stuff. So it's like mm. it's a bit like renting a house rather than buying a house. Yeah, you know, you throw all that money away. Uh, or and throw you don't it away. even have the books anymore. Yeah, yeah. You, you spend all that money, and the content that you have purchased is not yours ever. 
So I, yes. I'm not sure I entirely approve of that generally. I mean, I, you know, you have to use those services sometimes. You know, mm. and I, I use, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and the like. Uh, but it does annoy me when, um, you know, when I might lose access to these things that I've bought on there um, mm. if I stop subscribing. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, uh, I'm more forgiving of Netflix because they're more like mm. your TV license or whatever, in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, and you can stop at any time. And, you know, if you wanted to, uh, we, we were talking about superhero movies and watching Moon Knight at the moment. If I can't afford Disney, I can stop paying Disney for a few months. And then when they release uh, a show that I'd want to watch, I can... You know, pay them seven quid a month, Go and back not to just it. watch yeah. that show, but a bunch of other stuff as well. They don't. Yeah. They seem to be really good value. I'm not convinced that I could go for a subscription model for an RPG, um, but I think it's got lots of connotations. So, D and D Beyond was set up by a company whose name I can't remember, who lic- you know basically were licensees of Wizards of the Coast stuff. They then got taken over by Fandom. Fandom. Yeah. Uh, a year or two ago, bought the Cortex system from Margaret Weiss and Cam Banks, um, who I think licensed it from Margaret Weiss. Uh, so it looked like they were wanting to build their own um, sort of brand of role-playing game. So maybe they were thinking at some point d d is going to take, or Wizards are going to take D&D away from us. Mm. And that's now happened. Yeah. But it also makes me wonder about drive-through RPG. So now that Wizards have got their own electronic shop front, you can get old versions of D&D and, importantly, community content via drive-through RPG. Now that Wizards have got their own gateway, shall we call it, I wonder whether they're going to carry on that relationship with. Are um, they going to bring all their yeah. chickens home to roost, as it were? So, um, you know, Drive yeah. to RPG's D&D content is on a separate shop front. It's all the same back end, but it says DM Guild, yeah. not, um, yeah. not Drive Through RPG. Um, is DM's Guild going to get folded into um, D&D, D&D, Beyond. D&D Beyond? Because, frankly, that's what I'd do if I were Wizards of the Coast. Um, so we mm. should watch that with interest. And yeah, then, it's... it's just- um, you know, we all the um, adventures for Adventures League, which we run at the shop, they come to us currently via um, D&D, uh, DM's Guild, but are they going to get folded into that as well? And are we, as a shop, going to have to pay a subscription? Hmm. Are we going to get a free one because hmm. we're running Adventures Guild? All sorts of questions in my head. Hmm. What shop's this, Matthew? Oh, uh, this shop is uh, the shop you don't let me mention. It's the game shop in Order Shop where I work. If yes. you look up on Facebook, the game shop in Order Shop, you'll find it. <laughs> I just thought, you know, if I can't, if I can't, yeah. if I can't beat you, I might as well join you and just help <laughs> shill. So, and I have to say, we're not getting any free products from them or advertising money. I don't know why I'd do it. Really, we, you know, I could have had my ball shaped <laughs> no. by manscaping. And uh, that would be more value to me than what I get from uh, the game. Uh, except I do get. Well, I was going to say get, I do well, get, get paid, paid, but I work. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the usual way, isn't it, with a job, isn't it? You you yeah. trade you trade your labour for some money at the end of the week. Yes. Yeah. 
anyway, where yes. are we on the on the grand list of world of gaming stuff? Because we've been going on for forty minutes so far. I know, I know. Well, this is pretty much a world in gaming episode, with the exception of Toby's brilliant piece, which is coming up shortly. <laughs> so, so hang on, folks. Um, yeah, we we were invited by uh, a lovely fellow called Matt, uh, who runs the Judy Outremanche. That's not right. Okay, so we were invited on uh, to talk about Alien and our uh, our story, our journey um, from just gamers to published game writers mm. and designers, um, and we were invited on. Uh, by by a lovely guy called Matt Gra or Matt Grass, um, who uh, who runs a uh, uh, a French tabletop role playing. Of course, he's now our patron. Remember? He is. Now it seems. Patron. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, a French tabletop role playing game collective, the Le Judy du Entremanche. My French is awful, so I don't really know what that means. Um, well, the Monch is the Tem- uh, Thames. The Monch is the English Channel. So I'm guessing it means okay. something like gaming from over the channel or something. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, he invited us on to his his podcast. Um, uh, yeah, to to talk about uh, our our time in gaming, our journey in gaming, and how we how we got to work with Free League and how we got to work on Alien. And um, it was a fabulous chat. It was we talked for about fifty odd minutes. I don't know what that'll turn out to um, on Matt's podcast when he's edited it at all, but. That 50 minutes went by very quickly. It didn't feel mm. like 50 minutes at all. It was a lovely chat. Um, I don't know. I, I assume we haven't had confirmation from him yet about when that's going to go out. But when we do, we'll obviously no. advertise that on all our usual socials. So you can go and have a listen to that. And obviously have a listen to the rest of his podcast if you are a French speaker. Because I suspect most of it's in French. Um, from what I imagine, most of that particular episode, no, is, that in episode so he, is in English. Yeah, he started <laughs> off introducing us in French, so I have no idea what he said. Probably here's <laughs> yeah. a couple of jerks from England. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and for your pleasure, I'm going to make them look fucking stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm sure he was a lot lovelier than that. I think he was. Um, yes. And uh, and then you know we talked for an hour. So if I were making a podcast, I'd try and make it an hour long. I mean, sadly. We never managed to keep ours that short, but um, no, we. I don't I do remember when we started. We always thought we'd keep them down to forty-five or fifty minutes. That was our yeah. original thing. I don't think we've done, except for the RPG a day ones. I don't think any of them has been as short as forty-five or fifty minutes. Uh, no, I no. think we've done some that are like a minute over an hour or something. And I've always <clears> feel <throat> a little bit chuffed when I get one of those. But this is <laughs> going to be one of those. This is going to be a long one. Yeah. So anyway, just to say a big thanks to Matt for inviting us on. I had a great time, and um, I hope hope his listeners enjoyed the interview. Yeah. Um, it was it was great time. It was good fun. Really. It good was. Fun. It was. And uh, we urge you to listen to it so you can find out even more about us. Although we probably said everything we said on there already. <laughs> um, which brings us on to the end of World in Gaming, uh, apart from the fact that I got a hard copy of Death in Space. Yes, me too. It's a lovely and, uh, little this book, is isn't great. it, actually? So, so this is freely sending us stuff that we didn't pay for, not just as PDF, but in, in glorious, glorious hard copy. And um, I've been playing it, and I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience with you, Dave, and with our listeners. 
Yeah, that sounds good. Go ahead. I say I've I, I received I've haven't had a chance to read it in detail yet, but I've had a quick look through some of it, and I had a quick read through um, some of the scenario in the book because you'd mentioned how much you liked it and how li- how much you liked I think the way it was written and the way it was put together. So yeah, yeah, I'm 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 all ears, pal. Okay, so I think I'm gonna be um, I'm gonna be honest about my reaction to it when it was first kickstarted, which is oh, it looks a bit like Morkborg in space. Yep, I think and, I had know, that same reaction. A, a cursory glance, and Morkborg's great, uh, but did I want to play Morkborg in space? No, I didn't. And also, um, I play <clears throat> Alien, and that features death in space, so I thought. My whole death in space. Um, Your need to be killed need in space is is kind of yeah yeah. yeah I, been... I've got enough death in space going on, so we didn't back it, but we got it anyway, and uh, we got the PDF. Just as a point where my home group uh, finished a game and said, "What are we going to play next?" And I said, "Oh well, I've got this thing. I've got this PDF. Oh, you know, it's a review copy. Really, we should review it, but I can only review it if I've played it. Do you guys want to play it?" And I said, oh, yeah, fine, we'll play that. Uh, and I was kind of, you know, um, um, kind of a bit of a chore doing this thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It's turned out not to be a chore at all. It's turned out to be a lovely, lovely experience. Um, now, I think I will do a proper review maybe a bit later on when we finish the, the whole adventure and, and reflected on it with my players and stuff. But I did just want to do a kind of... Um, first and second impressions because we did a year zero not a year zero sorry we did a session zero um, <laughs> a, cu- a couple of weeks ago and then this last wednesday uh, we we actually played the adventure and um fascinatingly on wednesday morning i got a little notice from uh, shipquest uh saying we're sending you your thing and i go but i haven't ordered a thing i'm not expecting a thing and then I thought, oh, is it Death in Space? And it was Death in Space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, oh, it'd be really good if it came today because I'm playing it today. And sure enough, it came within a couple of hours, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, first of all, uh, the session zero, I'm going to go against the trend here and say I'm not sure there's much point in doing a session zero. Okay. Um because the character generation is a lot like Mortborg. And frankly... Super quick. I'd, it's super quick. Um, and, and it could be massively automated. And um, I, you know, I, I don't know whether they have a, anything like Scum Bertha. But if they do, then that is how I'd make my characters in the future. They feel like disposable characters. They're, they're rich in a way that kind of Mortborg is, where it kind of makes references to things in the world that are a little bit different from what you might expect. Um, so you've got some interesting classes, I guess you'd call them, uh, mm. where you've got... Um, oh, let me just read some of the stuff here, because it's, it's, it's good fun. Um, character creation, getting started one, character creation uh, velocity cursed uh, individuals ill-fated ones that have started to lose their connection to reality, they shift and flicker in and out of space time with glitching faces so um, I think I think just, just, just to quickly interpose a comment on, like say, thinking initially that this was just Morkborg in space um, mm-hmm. it's not Morkborg in space 
but it is kind of it's got some Morkborg feel about it in some places. It's it's not yes. as extreme. It's not as extreme as Morkborg, but it's got that kind of style and feel running through it a little bit. And this, I think, is one of those. It's a good example you've picked out because it's one that when I was reading through the character creation stuff, I kind of went, eh, "Really? Is that mm, okay?" But I think I was then at that point coming to it from this is a sci-fi thing, and it's slightly. Yeah. It's it's like it's it's. I'm not even gonna, I can't really call it fantasy, but it, it's it's science, something science weird. Yes. you know. Yes, um, it, it it is weird science. I guess is what you could call it. Yeah. What interests me is our friend and patron, um, uh, Andy, um, really likes it, and given his preference for space that is. Um, not scientifically weird. correct. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he really likes it that much, given the weirdnesses like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you get those characters, and to be honest, one of my players has rolled that up and did a brilliant bit in the session a bit later on, where he overhears a conversation, uh, which we can talk about in a moment. But he 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 then makes a big play of, well, I don't know whether I've already heard this conversation or I'm going to hear it. <laughs> okay. Or have I heard it from my future self? And so, you know, that interesting that little detail yeah. there in that character creation now is, you know, is really adding flavour to the game. And I think there's a lot of that um, stuff in the mechanics that kind of creates narrative uh, throughout there. But uh, yeah, I think it could be pretty much automated. It's one of those games, again, where you, for your stats, you roll 2d4 and you take one away from the other. So your stats can range from minus three to plus three. And as is always the way with this, you seem to get a lot of minuses and no pluses. <laughs> um, so actually pulling one of those <clears throat> off the internet in, in an instant doesn't feel as bad as going through it and and realising you're getting all the minus threes and mm. a you is only getting all the, all the minus ones. And oh, my character's a bit shit. So I think one of my players was... Slightly experiencing that, and maybe drawing it out in a session zero isn't strictly necessary. Okay, is it? Is it though? Just on that point, very briefly. Sorry, um, is it that you don't need a session zero, but you need a a conversation zero? Because I think yeah. as part of it, you've also got the the hub to talk about as part of the group, isn't it? And the hub is your spaceship or your space station or your base of operations that is yes. kind of the foundation for the group of characters. And obviously you'd want a conversation in that. So so like you say, session zero implies you sit there for three hours and work all stuff out. Um, but like, maybe we're talking about conversation zero rather than anything Yeah, else. I think so. My original plan had been that we would do session... Well, we would we would create characters and get stuck into the first adventure. The only reason we turned it into a session zero was that um, one of the players was feeling a bit crock and says, oh, I don't think I can manage a full session. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. So I said, oh, well, you know, come along anyway. We'll, we'll just do the character creation. Stay as long and as we you finished. can kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we did. and um, and But I don't think so. But actually, I will say that that hub creation, your hub is your ship or your station, that's not great. Or other that that doesn't require a long conversation. There aren't many. No, options. okay, I haven't, I haven't read that bit yet, you, so I'd be interested you get on to. That. Yeah. So, so there's an interesting thing. Sorry, I keep interrupting with random no, thoughts, ahead. but carry on. I was going to say, I think you can develop your hub, and building your hub um, 
repairing your hub because it's shit at the beginning. Everything's yeah. shit at the <laughs> beginning. That, that's the point of the game. I think that is that will be a major feature of the game going forward. Yeah. So I was thinking, um, it, it strikes me that this is doing something that when I first saw Coriolis being announced, I assumed Coriolis would do, which was create your create the arc from Mutant Year Zero in a science fiction setting that um, that then you know gives your characters that focus and that center of gravity for their for their world effectively, which Coriolis doesn't really do. It gives you the spaceship, which is great, but it doesn't give you what I assumed it would give you when I first heard them announce Coriolis um, to be kickstarted. Yeah. So I think so. When I saw Coriolis come out, I was a little disappointed initially that it didn't have that kind of mutant Year zero arc concept in a similar kind of vein in space. But you know, I got over that. But I wonder whether that's what Death in Space is trying to do. If it is, it's not giving you. Yeah, I think it may work better as the game progresses. But um, you know, hub creation. I'll quickly go through. Is you start off with your hub frame and statistics, and if it's a spaceship, it's this, and if it's a station, it's that. Then there's your power source and your output power. And if it's a spaceship, it's this. And if it's a station, it's ah, that. okay. No optionality right. at all on that. So you um, could just write it down and say, your spaceship, here it is. Your station, here yeah. it is. Yeah. And then there's a couple of tables for your hub background, um, which is either one for... You know, roll a D20 for your spacecraft and one for your station. It's, like, it's history, where it's come from. Yes, yeah. So I can't remember exactly what our one was, which maybe indicates that it wasn't that exciting that exciting yeah um but i think it might have been used by an infamous smuggler and moon outlaw right okay that's it and then yeah. there's a quirk and again i think you're on a d20 for that and again i can't remember the quirk so that again <laughs> we obviously didn't have a very exciting one um i'm just going through the list here i really can't think of them but to give you <laughs> These are kind of evocative um, in, so, in some yeah. way, but they don't particularly make narrative. So infested with fluorescent spore mold, need constant cleaning would be one that I'd like to have rolled. Yeah. Or comes with a grumpy robotic pet coated in cosy synthetic fur. <laughs> I will have to ask uh, Tom, who wrote all this down as we were creating it, what, what, what we actually ended up with. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. The first adventure, though, is... So actually, sorry, just, just to finish that, so the hub creation thing, you, you are going to do that in about three minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it, like you said, there's not an awful lot of You make one decision. Option. Do we want a yeah. station or a spaceship? Yeah. And frankly, yeah. I can't particularly see... I'm not convinced on what a station offers that a spaceship doesn't. Yeah. Um, the spaceship it lets you move I guess it's kind of style of play if you're going to be um, uh, for example already in the adventure the crew have potentially picked up two hangers on that may add narrative possibilities in future adventures um, so if you get, you know you could build a population on a station and it would be very social and about the sort of internal politics as opposed to exploring and going out there. I think that's what a station is yeah. for. But um, So this for my crew, doesn't... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, for my crew, obviously, we want a spaceship. We want to go places and explore yeah. space. Um, there was yeah, that, so this, no... 
this certainly doesn't feel like it's it's filling that arc space for me anyway. Not yet. It no. may develop as you as as you as you play things. You may as you acquire um, be able to bolt stuff onto your spaceship, yeah. salvage things, and and put them on on your spaceship. But we're, we'll we'll wait and see how that yeah. develops. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Moving on to the, the scenario then. Yeah. So the adventure is a really perfect introduction scenario. Uh, the concept is you players have just bought your spaceship. It was really cheap. Um, but you've got to come to the station to pick it up where it's been sitting for some time and has docking fees that have not been paid. So mm-hmm. to get your spaceship gone, you need to find fuel. You need to find 500 hollows to pay the docking fees. And you need to actually get it repaired because it's non-functional at the moment. Um, and it gives you a, a a space station to explore with a number of things happening. There's some political stuff happening. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. Um, uh, and you've got a... That's just happening. It's a set of situations that you're walking into with those three clear needs, and you've got to try and get those things out of it. So, for example... One of the hangers-on they've picked up is somebody who can give them the fuel, but in return wants to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, wants to get off the, sh- off the ship. So they've got the fuel now. Um, they haven't sorted out the repairs yet. Um, they have sorted out... Somebody else they met has got them potentially an adventure that I might have to write where I've um, kind of rolled some tables up about what the next adventure might be. Um and there's, you know, some wealth to be got somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So she will accompany them to, to get that thing. Um, but, yeah, they've still got to get the ship repaired and they may have to deal with the politics. They're finding it out a bit about the politics. But what I love about this, so unlike Morkborg, it's not written in 1,400 different fonts. I think they use <laughs> maybe no. two or three. It's pretty... Um, Neatly laid out. Uh, yeah, it's a nice some... book. It's a nice book. I like. I do like it. It's well done. There are a few accessibility questions, like those classes in the character creation. The headings there are dark blue, and dark blue on black isn't great to read. No. Um, uh, but uh, but I'll I'll let them off from that one. But the way they lay out the adventure is really what I wanted to talk about. So you've got um, you know a kind of couple of pages kind of introducing. The situation uh, and there's a countdown going on here kind of like a high noon thing so they've got um three hours and we're almost running this in real time mm-hmm. i've said if you haven't sold this in three sessions um then uh you know th- that that's, that's the when the shit hits the fan yeah. yeah um but i'll see how that goes that may not be an advisable thing to do but that's what i that's what i i thought i can read it like this and knowing how quick they play i mean for us it would probably be 15 sessions to make out mm. because you'd spend five hours discussing your first decision uh, <laughs> but having a good time doing it though having a great time yeah uh, but then then it kind of puts out a conceptual map of the station it doesn't you know it does, it's not a detailed map it's kind of like, here's a hexagon representing this thing. Here's a hexagon representing this thing. These are the connections between those hexagons, which I kind of like. Um, I, I like that very much, actually. When I was reading it this morning, I looked at it and I just thought, okay, uh, okay, cool. I like it. And, it, 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 you know, it, it allows you to kind of hand wave a little bit some of those bits of the station that otherwise you'd have to draw a big map for. Yeah. Which all you do is walk through them. 
So yes, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that conceptual approach very much, actually. And then, and then, in some situations, obviously, you probably do want a more detailed map. And those situations have got a more detailed map, which is great. Yes, as well. So um, the areas that you're walking through to get places don't need the detailed map. But one of the things I like about that is that conceptual map is printed in every area. So when you're in that area, that area is um, is 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 highlighted. And so you know how that connects to all the other bits. But that's the same. Oh, yeah. So you get a double double page spread, effectively, where you've got a bit of descriptive text about um, the area you're in, uh, some details about places they might want to look at within that area. Then you've got a, a D3 table for things that might happen in that area, a D3 table for things that people talk about. And, and that was one of the things where I got somebody to roll... Um, on that D3 table and then because he was void or, or time cursed whatever it is yeah you know he then he's or have I heard this or am I going to hear it sort of thing uh, which I loved and each double page spread has also got a major character from that and what I love about the major what I really love about the major character is it you know it says here's a bit of descriptive text um it doesn't even give them stats, actually, interestingly, because the GM doesn't roll anything. So, you know, the player's rolling all the stats. Um, and then it says, what's their priority? What resources do they have? Uh, and this one um, that I'm looking at now, and again, I'll, I'll not mention the name because it would be a spoiler. Mm. She's got the fuel you want. Um, what's their goal? What do they need? And... Um, what will they reward you if if you give them what they need? Which kind of you know it ties in a little bit. In fact, as I as I describe it to you, to um, to kind of what Toby's going to talk about later in the program, in terms of favors for a favors. Um, mm. So yeah, I I love it. Really simple to read. I you know I had read this beforehand, but it's minimal prep. Uh, all I needed to do was read it and I was already then thinking and of course the, the key thing is it doesn't give you any solutions it says this is a situation and from that point on you make stuff up depending on what the players do which although I, I will I, I do, uh, one slight niggle I had when I was reading it so on on one of the pages early on it says so there are several problems the, the broken hub no fuel and a debt um but there's no fixed way of dealing with this. And then later on the same page, it says the characters must hear these these rumors, and that basically gives you your three ways of doing it. Yeah. So, so, so I think yes, nice. Go 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 for the go for the attempt to make it feel really sandboxy. But then don't immediately on the same page then turn it into, turn it into a railroad. I don't think that's a niggle. I think if they hadn't mentioned three leads you could have to those things then you might go what do i do no I've that's fair no enough I, I i guess I, that was my little niggle just reading it i haven't read all of it yeah. so those three rumors might actually be dead ends that lead to other things but um, no, no, no. You, you could you could I, give I, more rumors or you could give more options so it just felt a bit here are three problems there's no set way to solve it oh by the way here are three rumors which answer <laughs> those three problems well except okay. all it does is introduce you to people that could solve your problems, how you, you know... Um, how you then go about dealing with it is, yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. And, and, you know, every scenario has to have a clue to go. You take you somewhere. 
Yes, you know, exactly. if you if you leave it completely open to the players, then you are you are relying upon your players to use their imagination in a way that some players find. You know, actually, I want a bit of a lead. I don't know what to do otherwise. So I've got no idea what I should be trying to do. Um, so, but one so of the things I, is a, I really it's a minor wanted to, niggle. It's a minor niggle. I wanted to highlight though is how easy it was to navigate your way around that adventure compared mm. to the two Coriolis adventures we've been doing a lot of. <laughs> you know, you will have been aware of me going, oh, I know this person. Oh, let me find out what he wants. Oh, where is yeah. he? You know, yeah. there wasn't a consistent way of where they were putting the players. Here, pretty much everything is laid out for you on the page where you are. Um, yeah, and, and I, I particularly like, you know, with some of the key NPCs, as you say, you've got literally no more than 10 words under each heading of their what's their main resource that they can control, what's their goal, what do they need, where's their yeah. turf, you know, and that that's really good. I like that very much because, again, you, you can leave the GM, and most GMs are going to be more than capable of doing this, you can leave the GM to fill in the gaps, um, mm. you know, which is, which is great. So I like that very much. So I, I, th- I do think it's good. I agree with you. Um, yeah, and I'd like the simplicity of layout, and I'd kind of hope that uh, Coriolis, their third book, maybe picks up a bit on that and um, makes it that simple to read and to navigate. Yeah. And that's me done on Death in Space. There will be more <laughs> when I've finished the whole adventure. Proper cool. review, maybe. One on the blog as well. It's good. I mean, it's a lovely uh, book, though. It's well, It's well. you know, like you say, I, I take your point about the, the blue text on the black background. Um, I guess it's it, it will definitely need a printer-friendly PDF version if you wanted to print it, because there's a lot yeah. of black going on. Um, <laughs> but it, it gives it a lovely feel. And I, yes. when I got it, I was I was kind of ready to be unimpressed. I don't know why, mm. but actually, it's 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 it, reading it very quickly dispelled that silly impression. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. it was very good. And That's another I, lovely thing about it is it comes with two bookmarks. Yes. So you can you can flick back and forth if you want to between different parts of the adventure. All good stuff. Right. Well, we right. are an hour and ten into this episode, and we haven't even got to the main bit yet. Yeah. So, so shall we listen to Toby? Yeah. So Toby's doing his second essay on money uh, in Coriolis. Last time I talked about how the greater society in the Third Horizon relies less on Burr than it does on relationships between people and organizations at all levels. This time, I want to talk about how to use this concept to make your game better. Starting with the mechanics, and I'll keep it simple so it will be easy to understand, the basic concept is that when a player character wants to acquire something, a bit of gear, an invite to a fancy party, ship repairs, a new gun, whatever, the player will roll their character's reputation score with success meaning that they can get the gear or favor, but they may have to wait for it or exchange a favor to get a favor. Multiple successes mean that they get what they want without additional strings or too much delay. Simple. The listed cost of an item, or estimated cost of a favor, would modify the roll. Items up to 50 burr would cause a plus one to the roll. Each time you double the cost, subtract one from the roll. Restricted items would add an additional minus two. So a Vulcan pistol would be a minus two, while a Vulcan carbine would be a minus four. You would also subtract one from the roll for each additional ask in a segment, and adjust for how far away you are from your home networks. Starting gear would use exactly the same mechanism. Ask for gear from your network and subtract one after each ask. 
But then how do player characters ever afford very expensive items, such as a ship intelligence for their class 3 free trader? This item has a cost of 300,000 per, which would be a minus 11 to their reputation roll. The answer is that they use assets. Assets are relatively expensive or rare items that are used as favors and rewards for the characters. Each asset used will add a plus one to the roll. Once an asset is used, it is gone. They are one-use items. The character is giving the item away to someone else. Game masters should make sure to explain exactly what an asset is in the fiction of the game. Is it a diamond necklace, a ring, a transactor with a thousand burr? Or is it a favor owned by a wealthy or powerful patron? Maybe it is an acceptance to a prestigious university to study the arts of metacurgy. How do characters gain assets? Well, they may be awarded them from patrons for doing especially valued favors. They could also get them from a little light looting. I would recommend handing out a few assets to the PCs after every mission that goes above and beyond, which will be most missions the players do. Anytime they risk their lives, the patron should see that as it going above and beyond and give them a token of their appreciation. An asset. Gear that the characters have could also be considered an asset in the right circumstances. If they manage to recover a couple of working Vulcan carbines off some bandits last session, they could offer them to the Sogoi rebels whose help they need this session. Which brings us to how players would bribe other characters in the game. Well, they could rely on their reputation alone, but a promise to help someone out if they help you might work. But it's not likely to be a real inducement. Think about it. Some rando comes up to you and asks you to do something potentially illegal in exchange for a promise to help you out in the future. No way. Maybe if they help you out first. Better if they build a relationship with you before they make the ask. It's probably better and quicker to use an asset that the target of the bribe would be interested in. That right there is one reason it is important to define the asset. An anonymous transactor loaded with burr is going to work a lot better as a bribe than an invite to a fancy party for a security guard. That's just the mechanics, though. This concept can also be used to drive drama so much more at the table. Since everything is based on doing favors for other people and them doing favors for you, it is made to support role-playing. Anything you might want the player characters to do, you can easily convince them by simply having someone important ask them to do it. Now they have an important person that owes them a favor. Maybe, now that they are good friends with Judicar Amisha, a member of the syndicate on Coriolis could ask them for a favor. Could they possibly get the charges against their cousin dropped? They'd be ever so grateful. Later, when the players are trying to get a berth at a syndicate station in Oticon, they are known as the crew that got the charges against Cousin Victor dropped. Of course there's space for them. In fact, we're having a little get-together tonight at the Warda Alnuji Cantina. Perhaps you could come. As you can probably see, these favors work both ways. The players will be wanting things, and the NPCs will be wanting things too. It shouldn't simply be trading of favors of equal value. It should be a constant back and forth of giving and receiving. The GM could keep a list of all the NPCs that the players have relationships with, or they could allow the players to define those NPCs and keep track of them themselves. Maybe Oshian needs to land his ship in a hidden landing field outside of Icon City on Mira, so he calls in a favor from someone he knows at Alam's Temple. Dave would then make the role and define the NPC. In the future, you can be sure that NPC will come to Oshian at some point with an ask of him. It's important that the favors aren't seen as a currency. 
You can't ever zero out a relationship with someone else. Even if you have traded favors with someone, you still know one another and can draw on that relationship to ask for new favors. Unless, of course, you have managed to burn the bridge and turn that former friend into an enemy. In which case, there are still opportunities for drama. This is a great opportunity to bring in as many NPCs as you want and as much associated drama as you want. The possibilities are simply endless. So ditch the shackles of tracking every burr and use reputation as a proxy for connections, wealth, and favors. You'll have no end of opportunity for adventure and drama. So that's another excellent piece from Toby. Thank you so much for taking the time and effort to do that. It, that's really good. And it's really thought-provoking. Now, I, the, you know, the idea of using what is, an, in effect, almost a redundant sat in the game, because it's very rare that reputation gets a proper, a proper use in the game. Um, the idea of taking that stat and giving it a real purpose is, 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 is awesome. It's, it's great. I don't, I didn't use the word awesome very often. Um, but that, that's really good. And the idea that, you know, it, it, you know, it's all about the exchange of favors and, um, you, you know, you, you, you build up your, either your bank of favours or your debt of favours in order to gain stuff. So I, I really like that. Um, I guess my one concern is that a lot of people don't have very much reputation. And actually then you're very rarely going to be able to get those kind of favours until you've built up your reputation. Thinking, for example, of Andy's character in um, in uh, the Humanite. Yes, in uh, in, in, in the, our previous campaign. In our earlier campaign, yeah, yeah, because his reputation was zero, maybe at that point, maybe one. Yeah, Humanites are zero, so, and you know that, that there's an interesting thing there that I think works quite well in uh, his model because although um, Humanites have only recently spoilers. Um, been declared effectively slave races. Um, you know, that is what he was. Economically, is effectively beholden on everybody else. He's there as a servant. He has no spending money yeah. uh, unless he does stuff for other people. So, although I take your point, and what worries me a little bit and more, actually, not so much him, which I thought was great, he chose to be a humanite. He gets an extra talent. There. Suck it, Andy. You've got to live with that. Um but you guys were like three or four, and then three or four is not going to get you many successes. No. I mean, even with Oshien, who I think is five or six now, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're going to fail as often as you succeed, you know, with, with, with only that. Um, yeah. I mean, particularly with the what looked like actually, you know, if things were easy to get uh, in, in Toby's system, you get a plus one on your dice. Yeah, and you could get loads of minuses as they get more expensive. Yeah, which, which is, is which is right and proper. Um, mm -hmm. If you you know Toby's done done this mechanic that will work um, at all levels. So it's not like yeah. general theory of relativity that breaks down when you get to quantum and quantum that doesn't work in you know in the big scale. Yeah, you know this is a theory of everything that that Toby's yeah. put forward, and it does work. But as you say, you are going to need a very high reputation to be able to acquire something that's very expensive. Which or is, assets. Well, I, 
I guess or then you need an awful lot of assets. Yeah. So I, I love the asset idea. I think the idea that the asset is, um, it, I guess it doesn't even need to be a physical asset. It can just be, you know, you've got a chip in the game now because of what you've done for me. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's not a real chip, obviously, but it's you know you've got this this level of clout as a result of that. Um, mm. So I think. I think that's lovely. I love that idea. Does that... Uh, there is a bit of me that just thinks, does, does that just... Re- does the bookkeeping to deal with the number of assets you need to do something big, like, you know, pay for, um, you know, a big repair to your ship or something, is that just replacing the bookkeeping mechanic of adding up Burr? Well, I don't know, but I'll tell you what I thought is an interesting thing, and I'll run it past you as my co-host and a player in my game is I was wondering whether what I might make... And in fact, you know, this slightly came out of what we were discussing about the um, the event that happens at the end of um, the second book. Yeah. No um, spoilers. It's too late. Whether, anyway, <clears throat> whether this might be an opportunity to actually give this a really firm playtesting in our campaign, as I can say something like, well, you know, the electronic tag and burr system... Has, has collapsed. collapsed. Yeah. So whether we bring it back before the third adventure starts, in this period here, I just thought we could actually play test this system where it's all about assets. And, you know, the adventure that you've been on so far, I know we've not played very much of it because I've been generally a bit crap. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it has been about relationships and build, you know, and patrons and stuff like that. So it fits. And you've been asked to do a favour for the Akbar of Fingery Bob, so you know already that asset exchange thing is beginning to happen. Yeah. And I just wondered whether we might playtest it uh, in 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 the campaign live on air, as it were. I'm certainly up for that. I think yeah, yeah. I'm sure Tony and Mohammed would be. Um, so I'm certainly up for that. So I think so. I, I do love that idea, and I, I think, as Toby says in his piece, it, it does spawn more potential storytelling ideas than just handing over cold hard cash which is you know a real a real bonus for using that for using that approach um i i i just wonder whether there is uh kind of a a statute of limitations on this in that the reputation thing should be used for smaller things so Toby uses the example of buying a module, I think, isn't it, for 300,000 mm. burr and takes his mechanic to the point where you get 11 dice, negative dice, in order to, to achieve that. Uh, I wonder whether you just don't bother at that scale. That scale, you've got to go for money. No one's going to give you something worth a quarter of a million burr for a favour. So whether there is a point where the favours just slowly run out and actually cold hard cash becomes the key thing so the two things could Uh, run in parallel yeah i mean except i guess part of the interest here is you know you've effectively you've effectively got that in in the base system in that you owe cash everybody starts off with a spaceship but also owning owing x uh, x percent of the of the cost of that spaceship yeah and that is meant to be within the narrative of the system. That is kind of meant to be not actually necessarily paid off with Burr at the end of every segment, although that's how it describes it. But kind of, you therefore owe that person 
who's your patron? You've got to go off and do that task for him. Now, it doesn't work really like that. You know, take your ship, for example. The idea was that although you owed money on it, that you were paying off, it was kind of your ship, your inheritance from the mum who's in the alarms thing. And now you've done a thing where, you know, actually... The, your inheritance was paid off if or your 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 debt was paid off if you did this thing so this exchange of favors actually was played out in the last act yes. of the uh, second yeah. book but, but you've now taken on more role for it. Yeah. cashy money debt. Uh, cashy money uh, debt and i so this mm. is actually a really good example where i thought well let's work out what does that mean in terms of favored o's and assets and stuff like that um rather than cashy money and yeah i think yeah i think there's a good point there actually um now you've sort of described it in those terms so as you and listeners to our coriolis game will know oshan is a bit obsessed about money and (laughs) he's obsessed about money because he wants to keep his ship running and if i don't have enough money the ship can't run and and that's fine and I, I don't mind playing the character that way. But actually, you're right. Does it make it more interesting if actually all the all the upgrades that have been made to my ship, I'm not have to pay for them with cash, but now I owe enormous amounts of obligation to the people who've done it. Yeah. And I you know I have to pay that off, or otherwise there will be consequences. But obviously, mm. I'm not paying it off just in money. I mean, there might be some money handed back, but I, I pay it off in obligation you know they, they, they'll make me an offer i can't refuse kind of thing exactly oh yeah well done for bringing the uh the, the topic <laughs> the title of the show into yeah. the show um yeah no absolutely uh I, so what i'm thinking straight away is if we were to play test this what are the gm notes uh, player character sheet notes that you need to track this yeah and i think we can explore that in a kind of soft mm. way you know, you've already worked out how much burr you would owe on yeah. these modifications you've done. Um, let us think what that means in terms of assets and favours and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, because actually, um, as a player, I would quite happily. I I I don't I don't feel the need to be chasing after money as a player. Mm. I feel the need as a player character. But if yeah. there were other obligations, me as a player, I'd be quite happy. In fact, possibly happier as a player to to manage the debt in that way than actually having to chase after money the whole time. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. So you know when you guys were negotiating uh, with the various people that wanted to employ you at the beginning of the second book, uh, we had to resort to you know ha- you wanted to know how much actual burr are on the table. Yeah, and um, you know I had to come up with some numbers um particularly after with the first one i tried to be a bit more wishy-washy and say oh it'll all be in favor zone so that's not it i need to know how much bow it is yeah because i need to be able to cover my costs every bloody yeah, month yeah 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 no, i can see but you know does it would this system make it easier for me as a gm to say oh well you yes you will owe us favors and make you know does it need to say you will owe us X favors. I mean, he's very careful to say you don't write off your debts with this one. You, you know, it isn't you owe us six favors for this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, what what is the way in which I can keep a track of who you are obligated to and uh, kind of how much you are in their debt? It's interesting. Um, what you could do is have 
at the risk of adding another mechanic onto it, is having kind of like an obligation totalizer or something, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. So depending upon the favour that's been given to the players, there is, you know, there there is, I don't know, like say level 10 of obligation or something. And during the game, when you do stuff for that, for that patron or that person who, to whom you owe the favour, depending on how far over and be, you know above and beyond, you know, you go, would then, you know, if you do the job half-heartedly, you might just get one favour back because you've done the job, but you couldn't really be asked, but you did it badly. Or if you then risked your life or suffered a serious injury in pursuit of that favour, then actually that burns off more of the obligation. Yeah. And there's this thing about, you know, he says you know, GM should effectively reward the players with assets as as a result mm. of their adventures so um yeah maybe you know maybe those assets can be uh, obligation burn uh, or or something as well it's worth having a bit of a think about in some more depth mm. i think um and 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 as i say practicing through play maybe we should even get try and get toby i know i know the time, the time differences make difficult. it difficult for. But I'd love to have Monday Toby ca- come in as some sort of banker character, effectively, um, helping us, helping us think it the, through on the management of favors. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's a great idea, and I think there is there's lots to it. And as I said, as a player, I don't mind doing the bookkeeping for all the money. But as a player, I would happily approach, you know, try another way of managing it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Oshin's character isn't in it for the money, but he just wants to make sure his ship doesn't no. doesn't stop working. Um, well, I wonder whether, you know, now you've got, um, you know, we've got characters with different reputations. Um, yeah, I just wonder whether we should um, do some shopping in, in character using the reputation roles and just see how those roles pan out. Yeah, let, let's do that on the next, on yeah. the next game, because we are stuck on duck room at the moment aren't we so uh, you are definitely while your ship is being repaired while my ship's being what repaired, you need to do yeah. is find fuel the repairs <laughs> and a hub <laughs> but there are three rumors that we can follow <laughs> to... <laughs> and you've only got three hours to do it in. <laughs> cool no but i just want to say a huge huge thank you to toby for doing that and it, it's excellent i love it it's really good stuff brilliant and I think it's and, really um, something that we should play test. And there's a lot in and it. And do check out the RPG Logic podcast as well. Yes, if you, absolutely. If you like what Toby says, there's more of him on <laughs> RPG Logic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, right. That's the end of the programme. Um, we are uh, what are we going to say about next week? Uh, may, next episode, we maybe have an interview. Right, actually. So I, I, I have sent the information off to Titan Books that they what they asked for. Um, which they apparently are going to send to Fox before we can interview this fellow. But I'm just wondering, sh- should we maybe uh, drop Andrew faith- Gasco a line and get him off? It's an option. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about asking Drew to come on, but potentially. We could, we could potentially do that. So maybe there'll be an interview and it may be alien related and there's a slim chance it'll be Andrew Gasco. Um <laughs> But we'll have but, to see. Uh, yeah. We'll have to see, yes. <laughs> cool. Right then. Well, that's enough for one day though. So um it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. 
You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.